Matthew chapter 3, and the protagonist, the good guy, is John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer. Um, the word baptize, or baptizer, is, means to immerse. And so basically, to be baptized <clears throat> is to be immersed. For instance, John baptizing in water would immerse people into water. Uh, and of course, John being the baptizer would be the immerser. So that's an important term to get in our minds because we're going to be introduced to this term, idea of baptism, in chapter 3. <clears throat> and what's, what's, what's to happen? What John does when he immerses, and he'll also talk about Jesus and what Jesus does when he immerses. Of course, all of the Bible, all of the New Testament and the Gospels are mostly about Jesus. So when we look at the Bible, when we look at the New Testament, we're thinking, what does this have to do about Jesus? Especially the Gospels. Because the Gospels writers want to tell people all about Jesus. Here's his life. Here's his genealogy. Here's what he taught. Here's what he did. And here is what he is all about. So last week, for instance, we talked about Jesus being the king of the Jews. And so these magi show up, these wise guys from the east who were foreigners, who understood the Hebrew religion and text and understood through their experience that the king of, of the Jews was due, and he was due in, in, in Judea. And so they came, and they asked, where is Jesus? Where is the king of the Jews? And this, and this is Jesus. And now, in this chapter, we're going to be introduced to his kingdom. So we've got Jesus, the king. In chapter 3, we're going to see something of his kingdom. The king has to have a kingdom. What's his kingdom like? <clears throat> and John's going to introduce us to his kingdom this morning. Um, and so, as I said, we have John the baptizer. But we also have the antagonists. That's where the word antagonist comes from, you know, someone who antagonizes. So who's antagonizing John? And that would be the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, we sang a song earlier today about the Pharisees and Sadducees. You guys remember what the Pharisees were like in the song that we sang today? They weren't fair, you see. Right, George? Is that right? The Pharisees, they weren't fair. Now, what about the Sadducees? Remember what the Sadducees are like? They were so sad, you see. Okay, so I'll, I'll give you a little bit more information about them when the time comes. But that's the introduction. We got John the Baptizer, baptizing to immerse, and then we're going to see, obviously, the whole thing's about Jesus, and so we're going to learn lots about him, but we're also going to see the Pharisees and the Sadducees. <clears throat> so again, the first thing it says is in those days. In what days? We just ended by talking about, you know, Jesus in the, you know, in his home in Bethlehem, going to Egypt, coming back to, and he was about two years old, we reckoned, coming back to Galilee, um, living in Nazareth with, with his mother, Mary, and of course, his um, uh, stepfather, uh, Joseph, his adoptive father, whatever he would be. Um, and so um, here they are in Nazareth, but this is talking about in those days. In what days? It doesn't say, usually it would say in the days of a king or a, to give you some kind of a date. Or, but I think when he says in those days, he's talking about in the days 
when Jesus began his ministry. This is about Jesus. So we're talking about in those days, we're talking about the days of Christ. So we're thinking this is the day that Christ, the days, the times, the years that Christ walked and lived upon this planet in a particular place. Uh, and so here, in these days of Christ, we have his cousin, John the Baptist. We, get, we have the information about him being his cousin in another gospel. But regardless, here we see him, John the Baptizer. Matthew's not interested in his relationship with Jesus. He's interested more in his message. What is John doing in these days? Well, first of all, like I said to the kids earlier today, John the Baptist is a strange fella. He's an odd guy. I almost read up there that he was wearing um, um, caramel hair. Now, now that'd be awesome to have caramel hair. Imagine, imagine if your, your hairs grew and they tasted like caramel. I'd be licking them all day long. But that's wrong. It was camel hair. So it, it, it was the first weird thing about him is this. Okay, he's preaching. Okay, now preaching you might think is weird. I think it's perfectly normal. So he, but he preaches in the desert. Now that's kind of weird. Think about if you're a preacher. What do you want to do when you're preaching? You want to give people a message. So you want an audience. There's not much of an audience in the desert, is there? It's, I mean, literally, he should be in Jerusalem. That's where the message, go to the city, go to Glasgow, go to the big places where you get lots of people. But it seems odd. What an odd fella to go to the desert. I think the reason why he did that is because of this. He wants people to make an effort to come out to hear the message. John's convinced his message is genuine. He doesn't need people to agree with him. He's there with the message. He's there. He's got the calling from God. He's preaching the message. And I think he, he, he's not interested in the passerbyers. Oh, let's see what this guy's all about. Oh, I've got a quick little lunch break. I'll go in and stop in a little lunch sermonette to, to fill my soul and get back to work. No, he wants people who are like desperate, like Jesus will say later on, people who are poor in spirit, who are mourning, and people who were, um, who were downcast and broke. People who are genuinely wanting to find the kingdom of heaven. That's who he wants to give the message to. No wasters. So you want to come hear the message? You need to travel a long distance. Are you ready for that? Are you committed to that? Or are you just want to pass by and kind of give a quick little ear and go, yeah, whatever, and move on? John was interested in that. Like I said, today's preaching you know, manuals would, would, would probably go against this. To preach, get a great big crowd and go nuts talking about Jesus. But not John the Baptist's method. He's like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I want people who come to hear the message to be those who are made an effort, a strong effort to get out to hear. People who need a message, who understand their need for the message to come out and hear it. So here he is, an odd guy out in the middle of the desert wearing these camel clothing and you know, leather belt around his waist, kind of looked like a caveman in my imagination, eating locusts and wild honey. I mean, not a, he's not walking about in a fancy three-piece suit, looking fancy, driving around in a fancy car and, you know, with, with shiny teeth and nicely combed hair. You know, he, he's, he's totally a rough fella. But you see, God wants to use John the Baptist, however odd he may be. And he is going to. Look at what he's called. First of all, He's shouting out repent. And we've talked about repentance before in the past. Repentance simply means to change. Things are going the wrong way. Let's make a change. You're, you're driving your car, and you see a sign that says, you know, this road is closed, and there's a cliff. You know, no, 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 this is fine. <laughs> you keep going. You drive off the cliff. That's trouble. 
But you see, a sign that says, roads closed, make a U-turn. So you can safely continue your journey, take a detour. That's what repentance is all about. You're, you're going the wrong way. Make a turn, make a change. It's, it, it, you're heading towards dangerous grounds. There's safety. And if you think about it, this message is, is important. We, of course, I think nowadays we might think of repentance as maybe some kind of old school Victorian terminology, which means, you know, burn or turn, you know. But the reality is, he, again, he's wanting to find people who are ready to hear the message. Who are people who are saying, I'm in the wrong lane. I'm going the wrong way. I can feel it in my soul. Things aren't right. I'm not right with God. Things aren't right with my family, with myself, with my friendships, my relationships. Things aren't right. I need a change. So these, these are the kind of people who are showing up. So any people who think they've got things all figured out. Because people who think things are all figured out, they're hanging out in, in Judea, living life as normal. But the people who are showing up to hear this message of repentance are people who are ready to change. And, and what does John say? Yeah, you're right. Change. And that was his message. Change. Now, he's not saying, I change. And just that. Well, I think what he's saying is, it's possible. Change is possible. Change is available. And through, in the possibility, the availability of change comes through Christ and his kingdom. And that's why he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And for the Jewish mind, this speaks of God. This speaks of the Messiah, the chosen one of God, Jesus Christ. His kingdom, his way. And, and look, here says, in this translation, it is near. The kingdom of God is near. In other translations, it, it might say the kingdom of God is at hand. I like that, at hand, because what it basically means is something, when it is at hand, it's drawn close to. It's, it's able to be reached. It's at hand. If I were to say, hey, listen, keep your pencils at hand, that means you keep it close by so you can grab it quickly. So when he says the kingdom of God is at hand, he means it's accessible. Like this pencil is at hand. I need my pencil, I can grab it quickly. I need my Bible, keep your Bible at hand. It's, you can get it easily. Now, if I keep my Bible in the car, that's not at hand. I'll have to get down, excuse myself, run around and get it. Find out where my keys were, open the door. But this is at hand. That's what we say about the kingdom of God. God's kingdom, God's way, his order is at hand. Now, it may not feel that way because... Think about society in Judea with, with, with Herod, you know, and, and the other, you know, Roman rulers, you know, literally killing youngsters, as we saw last message, you know, oppressing, you know, uh, the religious free worship of the Jewish people, um, you know, poverty, slavery. The society was screwy, just like our society, frankly, is screwy today. So it may not feel like God's kingdom is at hand, like this pencil's at hand. But the thing is, it's a spiritual thing. And, and we're going to see that. that it, my spiritual, I'm not saying it's just something that you think about and you make it your thoughts positive and you feel peace because of your disciplining your mind. What I mean is Jesus Christ brought God in his kingdom, God in his spirit, into contact with our physical reality. That's what I'm saying. God, who's real. And he's a spiritual being, has come in contact with us, has come in, has engaged with us, like he's going to engage with Christ here in this chapter. And that engagement is his kingdom. God has a plan. God has a way. God has a kingdom. And it's a spiritual kingdom, but it's also a real kingdom that is tangible in the sense it comes into contact and relates to us in our real lives. 
And we can tap into that. Just like how we can grab this pencil if we want it. Do you want that kingdom? Do you want to experience God in that way? It's right there. But you've got to find a way to grab it. And that's what John wants to do. He wants to instruct us in this. And that's what the Bible does. It wants to instruct us in this. And when Jesus starts preaching, he's going to do just that. He's going to instruct us in how to access the kingdom of God. So John, speaking of which, he was prophesied in the Old Testament book of Isaiah in, in the verse 3, where it says, This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. And that's what he is, a strange guy, prophesied many years ago. He's a voice, he's calling, he's in the desert, he's in the wilderness. But look what he's saying, prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare the way. Okay, these people who are broken and thrashing down trying need change and they, they want to find the kingdom of God. They want to find the king, Jesus, the Messiah. Where is he? We're ready for a change. We're ready for new things. What does he say? tell them? First of all, we need to repent. Okay, we're ready to repent. Make clear paths. Clear the rubbish. Get that stuff that's in the way. Those preconceived ideas, those bad habits, bad practices, all those things that are getting in the way between you and God Clear them out. Prepare the way for the Lord. Clear the rubbish. Get it out of the way. Then make straight paths for him. Don't make it difficult. Don't put hurdles for God. God, if you want me, this is what you have to do. Don't, it's like a king. And this is the idea of royalty and the king. When the king were to come to visit, you know, they would clear the road and make a path and re reconstruct it and repave it and make it beautiful and clean. Prepare. Oh, this is a great thing. Well, here's the Lord. Here's the Messiah, the King of Kings. He's here. Don't make it difficult for him. Who do you think you are? Humble yourself and get on your knees and clean that road. Clean that rubbish out and make a way so that God, his Messiah, the King of Kings, can come and establish his kingdom in your hearts, in your minds, in your lives, in your families, at your workplace, in your school, in your world. So, like I said before, in, in four, John's clothes, his appearance, odd, odd man, that's all right. God uses odd people to do amazing things like this. And that's cool, you know, but we need to submit to God. That's the bottom line. We might be odd as, as anything, but if we're submissive, submissive to God, he can do amazing things. You know, eating locusts and honey, but people still came out to see him. People who were ready came out to see him from Jerusalem, from all of Judea, and the whole region of the Jordan. So he, he didn't have the internet to advertise. He didn't have business cards. He didn't have a mobile phone. But people knew as God was working and God was doing things. And people knew. They got word of this guy. And they wanted to go see what's up. They want to go. They want to hear. They want to understand repentance. And they want change. And they want to immerse themselves in what John was going to give them. And that's why he's a baptizer. Because he's not going to just dunk them in water for some religious significance. He wants to immerse them in God's kingdom. Uh, verse 6, confessing their sins. That's another thing. Confessing their sins. In order to repent, you need to recognize that there's something wrong. If, you, if, you, if, you, if you're totally convinced your life is perfect and you're fine and you don't need God, then you're probably not going to be in a place to repent, to be open, to receive the kingdom of God. But it takes a broken heart sometimes. It takes a broken life sometimes to go, you know what, that's it. I'm sick and tired of doing things myself, by myself, and doing it my own strength and doing it my own way. I, I recognize and I understand 
that there's something wrong here. That's what sin's all about. There's something wrong here. Um, you know, some, something's not right. God, take these sins from me and change me. That's what we're seeing here with repentance and confession of sins. And then after they were confessed their sins, in verse 6, they are baptized. Again, not just symbolic, but actual baptism, to be immersed. Immersed. His baptism was a baptism of repentance. Boom. Immerse yourself into this change. Commit yourself to this change. Don't just do the act and then live life for yourself. Make this a part of who you are as a person. So in verse 7, you want to read it again together? Just to wake yourselves up? Let's do it together. Ready? One, two. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brought of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath or the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with the unquestionable fire. Couldn't read those last ones, but that's all right. Okay, so here we have now our antagonists, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Just to let you know a little bit about who these Pharisees and Sadducees are, um, I've got some information here, which I'm going to just kind of highlight briefly. Basically, the Pharisees were the kind of conservatives of the day, the traditionalists, the, the good old boys. You know, they had their, their group. At this point, according to Josephus, there's about 600 of these old boys who were the good Jewish religious conservatives. They kept to traditional values. They were, they were those kinds of fellows. Um, and they started in the Jewish exile of Babylon. Um, they sought for distinction and praise by outward observance of external rites and by outward forms of piety. Interested in the outside. This is what call these guys the whitewashed tombs because they looked clean on the outside, but really inside they were spiritually dead. So they sought for distinction and praise. They liked titles. They liked to be called. They liked to be honored outwardly. And uh, they liked ceremonial washings, fastings for the sake of being recognized, Prayers, fancy prayers for the sake of being, oh, you are a spiritual man who prays so well. Almsgiving for the sake of being seen, not being, you know, it's all outward stuff, okay? Um, they held s- s- um, strenuously to a belief in the existence of good and, and evil angels and to the expectation of the Messiah. So they're very interested in the idea and the talks of Jesus because if he's the Messiah, they're interested. They're open to spiritual things. You know, they might be dead inside, but still they were interested in Messiah, and they were waiting for him to come. Uh, And they cherished the hope that the dead, after uh, preliminary experiences, either of reward or of penalty in Hades, a little bit like a purgatory kind of belief here, would be recalled to life by him, resurrection, basically. Um, Yeah, 
And then the Sadducees. The Sadducees were more or less the kind of the liberals. They're kind of more free and easygoing with, with, their, with their doctrines. Uh, but, the, um, but slightly different. Against the Sadducees were a religious party at the time of Christ. Again, so Christ is going to interact with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, just like John the Baptist is here. So a religious party, a group of you know, Jewish boys, uh, who denied that the oral law was the revelation of God to Israelites, and who deemed that the written law alone to be obligatory on the nation as a divine authority. Um, they basically saw that the word of God was beneficial, big picture stuff, but really, yeah, it's open to interpretation. Does that kind of sound familiar? That's kind of like when we talk about the liberal theology that has affected you know, our own nation, you know, it's the word of God, you know, it's, it's, it's good, but it's, it's kind of hard to, to say it's all there, you know, it's, it's all open to interpretation, so yeah, it's, so they kind of water down the word, if you will. They also deny certain things, uh, which contrast them to the Pharisees. They deny the resurrection of the body. They believe when you're dead, you're dead. Um, they, so therefore, they also deny the mortality of the soul. So once it dies, the body dies, the soul dies. That's it. You're done. Very common you know, belief today for kind of materialists, you know, people who believe we're just matter and there's no such thing as even the soul. So, so very similar. Um, and also they, they totally denied any kind of existence of any kind of spirits, angels, or anything. Anything like that. So it's kind of hard to say if they even believe in God. Because if there's no spirits or angels or souls or anything else, no non-material things, what exactly is God in their mind? So they're kind of a confusing group in my opinion. So there's an introduction to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So what's John the Baptist going to say to them? Well, first of all, again, he, he, John the Baptist didn't take a course on how to make friends and influence people. He was an odd fella. He sees these guys coming up, and he gets right to the point. First thing he says out of his mouth is this, you brought of vipers, brood of vipers. Basically, hey, you're venomous, you're dangerous. What are you doing here? I'm looking for people who are right-intentioned. You're here to spoil the, the genuine flow of God's work here. What are you doing? And so he's going to get right to him. He identifies him as a, a brood of vipers. And then he says, who warned you to flee from the coming of wrath? Now, it's not, a, it's not a, an easy topic to talk about wrath, but unfortunately he's going to deal with it here, the wrath, the wrath of God. Who warned you from the coming wrath? The Old Testament and the New Testament alike agrees that God will come in the end of the ages to, to judge for those who have received his free gift of salvation, eternal life. But to those, wrath. And he's, and he's bringing this up as, as, as very common, very real concept that has always been the case from the beginning of human history. Who's warned you from this coming wrath? Well, wait a second. But Jesus isn't about wrath. Jesus is about forgiveness and grace and mercy. I'm confused. Well, let me tell you, for those who have received Jesus, he's grace and mercy, kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit. But for those who reject him, and these Pharisees or Sadducees are going to reject Jesus because they're not interested in genuine, bona fide change. They're all about lip service. And John knows it, and he's going to write the point. He's like, listen, I'm, I want to deal with genuine people here. You guys aren't genuine. You're here just to check things out and to criticize and ridicule what we're doing here. And for those who aren't genuinely interested in Christ, he's not going to bring you salvation, but judgment. So you've got to choose. 
Do you want Christ's forgiveness or do you want Christ's judgment? He goes, I know you guys. I know what you're here for. You don't believe. And so are you here just to observe your own judgment that's due? And so he goes on and says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. If you really want to change, let's see some fruit. Fruit's a fancy word for saying behavior. Let's see a change. Make some changes. Make some changes. You really want Jesus? You really want his kingdom? Make some changes. Show us that you're really repentant. And this is a, one of the key things we're going to see coming up. Producing fruit. Then he goes right into talking about a tree that doesn't produce fruit. Later on, he's talking about wheat, which is the fruit of the ground. Okay? So it's a very, we're going to see this theme coming up quite a bit. So producing fruit, keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Again, good boys. Good boys from, you know, good Jewish boys. Hey, we're born into it. We're covered because of our birthright. False. doesn't matter who your mom and dad is. It makes no difference who your brothers and sisters are. They could be praying for you, and that's fantastic. But what matters is what you and what your heart and what your mind is like. And have you received Christ or not? Well, we've got Abraham. You know, we're good Jewish boys. doesn't matter. doesn't matter, you Pharisees and Sadducees. You can say that, but it doesn't matter. God wants you, not your mommies and daddies. I tell you, well, I take it back. He wants your mommies and daddies too. But your mommy and daddy can't get you into heaven. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Again, hey, God can turn anybody into his children. But it's the soul, it's the heart that's he's looking for. It's the, it's the spirit. And it's all about the spirit. And that's what we're seeing in Matthew 3. The axe is already at the root of the trees. The, the tree's about where you get chopped down, boys and girls. There's the axe. He, God sees this tree, and the, tr- and the tree is dead. It's not producing fruit anymore. What kind of fruit? Fruit of repentance, the fruit of change. There's, there's, there's no good fruit. The tree's dying out. And what's, what good is a tree that doesn't produce fruit anymore? I'll tell you what it's good for. It's good for, 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 for campfires. It's good for stoking the fire. You, you got a tree that doesn't produce fruit anymore, you chop that thing down, you make yourself a nice fire, keep yourself warm at night. And that's what he's going to get at. A tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Interesting. Thrown into, immersed into fire. A tree doesn't produce fruit. We'll be immersed. So basically, a tree that produces fruit, immersed in God's spirit. Or a tree that doesn't produce fruit, immersed into the fire. And you're going to see this connection in just a few moments, if you bear with me. So in verse 11, John talks about himself. As I baptize you with water for repentance. And that's the type of baptism he has. It's a water baptism for repentance. So he immerses you into water, but he's also immersing you, these people, into repentance, a changed life. But after me will come one who is more powerful, and that's the Messiah. That's the one we're looking for, right? The king of the Jews. He's more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. So look at this humility. I don't even, I'm, I'm too low. I you know, this guy is the Messiah, is the son of God. He will baptize you, okay, immerse you. Here's that idea. He will immerse you with the Holy Spirit. Do you want that? He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the Sadducees. He's talking to me. He's talking to you. And he's talking to the world. He's talking to everybody who happens to stumble upon these scriptures. Are you interested in what Jesus has? He's got two baptisms. He's going to bring two things. Grace and judgment. He wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. But if not, 
and there's no change. You have this tree that has no fruits, the fruit of repentance. Then comes the next, which is the fire. And that's what it says here. He will baptize you. He will immerse you. Do you want to be immersed in the Holy Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit? It's God, God's Spirit. Life, peace, joy, wonder, power, life to the fullest. That's what he has come to bring us, to immerse us in these things, life and joy and love and peace. Or will we be immersed into fire like a tree that doesn't produce fruit and gets chopped down and gets immersed into fire? His winnowing, now, some people might look at this and say, well, this fire talks about God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. I reject that interpretation because, first of all, Paul's talking, or John, first of all, is talking about this idea of, of judgment right off the bat. You brood of vipers who's warning you of his coming judgment. And then he's talking about a tree being chucked into fire. And then now he's going to start talking about um, wheat and chaff, which chaff gets thrown into fire. So I think this is a strong indication of what Jesus has brought is a strong divider. Two paths. One which is immersed with the Holy Spirit and one which is immersed in fire judgment. Verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hands. Again, Jesus is in control. He's the king. And he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat. That's the fruit of the field. That's the good stuff. And he gathers the wheat into barns. He stores it. He keeps it safe. His wheat's valuable. But the chaff, the chaff is... Um, the, the gunk, the stuff that you don't want, bits of dust and, and muck and, and, you know, all the stuff that you throw up and, and the heavy weight of, of wheat would fall down and then the wind would blow the chaff, which is just bits of micro dust and, and, and yucky stuff blown away. And then when you go back and you clean up, you sweep up the chaff again, throw it in the fire, like a tree, no fruit, fire. Chaff, what do you do with it? Nothing, it's useless. Throw it in the fire. Again, gathering his wheat into the barn, a safe storage, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So there's no doubt that this is, this is, this is a form of judgment. We're going to stop with this, and we'll continue with Jesus next week as he comes to be baptized himself. of the